Welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. You just heard Terror, Can't Help But Hate. Little guest vocals from George Corpse Rinder Fisher of Cannibal Corpse. Now, this is coming on the new record, Pain Into Power, which drops May 6th. And this record's, if just this is the opening track, I don't know where it sits in the album, but like the the opening salve of like promo they're doing, this already shows you that this is going to be a terror record that's going to really carry on for a couple of years. And that's something I said last week about terror was that depending on the last 20 years when you found hardcore, whatever new terror record it was out at that time is probably your favorite terror record. And that's that says a lot about the band, its legacy, and its ability to no matter what's going on in hardcore, when new kids find it, they pick up a terror record and they're like, this is the fucking best terror record ever. Which shows the diversity and the quality and the talent to continue doing these things. And uh, what they did interestingly with this one is Todd Jones, who he was producing, and, uh, and he brought some real energy to the band. And he obviously Todd was the OG guitar player. He's been in Nails. He was in a shit ton of hardcore bands and he's involved in the record. It's fucking fantastic. So much love to Scotty V and all the boys in terror. This one's a banger. Look forward to the future with you guys in the next couple months. Going to be some wild shit happening for terror. Now let's roll right into what's going on in Philly hardcore. Cause we got so much fucking shit to, that's going on, going to happen. But it starts tonight at the yard in Ambler, PA. Karma, Dare, Choice to Make, Raw Life, and Snub Nose. Karma and Dare on tour. That's a, We're lucky to have this package rolling through Philly due to the double booking. There's a show at the church tonight. We are pulling the show out to Ambler, which is just outside the northwest suburbs in Philadelphia. Choice to Make coming down here from Wilkes Bar. Raw Life from New Jersey. And up and coming, Pit Lord, Ben Stuckey, Soupy Butt, his band Snub Nose. Ain't seen them live yet. Excited to see them. But that's tonight. And uh, you can go to Philly HC shows, the address and all that. Bob Wilson has a fucking banger tomorrow night. Saturday, March 19th, 7 p.m. at the church. Nighttime show. C4. If you didn't catch them at the FYA, whew, missed out. Boston Hardcore, fast, furious, aggressive. Singer literally looks like he can carry a whole fucking giant, one of them trees in Northern California's fucking back. Dude's a fucking monster, like a Yeti. Awesome band. Rule them all. Another fast and furious fucking aggressive band. Love that. Violent Way. If you don't have love in your heart for an American, oi, skinhead band, I don't know what to tell you. And um, excited to see them. Everyone's favorite or least favorite, depending if you got hit with a shoe or berated by Zach Elmer, mobile terror unit, and my brother, Mike Hooligan, and the boys in Please Die. Now, I caught them last Friday with Liberty and Justice at the Fire. They were absolutely fantastic. They've even played some new tracks. I know they played in Bethlehem last Sunday. Uh, they're still ramping up. It's good to see people starting to actually mosh for Please Die. I know Mike's a little scary, but get out there and show some love for them. This uh this show starts at 7 p.m. Alex Bradley has a show Monday at the yard 
Alex Bradley, we've uh, I like to bust her balls a lot, but she's up and coming. We're working on getting her ass fully integrated in the Philly HC Show's world as a promoter. She also is a piercer at Mike Hooligan's Tattoo Shop. She even does them little teeth gems for all you people who want to be fancy. She's got an awesome show. Monday, March 21st. Hesitate, Strangle You, Strangle You's from the South, uh, Jive Bomb, Killing Me, and this graffiti, Scrutinize, see? Um, cool Flyer, check this shit out. Alex Bradley, she ain't fucking playing her own. And uh, the, the, the yard and these places outside of Philadelphia are where we have to do shows because of how many shows are happening. You got to remember, besides us, Dave Kiss, who does shows at the Kung Fu Natai, uses the church. R5 Production uses the church. So it's not just us doing shows there. Sometimes there's shows that we, we work with the bands, but it's not our show. So uh, it's good that we have shows back at the church, but sometimes that date's taken, and that's why we've been putting shows on the suburbs because there is no Voltage Lounge. There is no Barbary. The Fire told us specifically in an email that... 21 plus shows is what they want to do because when the all ages crowd happens, they sit on the neighbor's steps and they defecate. So if you're under 21, you're prone to shitting on steps if you're outside the fire. And because of that, we don't have the fire right now. I'm going to try to work that out. Talk to Eric at Creep Records. We're looking to bring shows back to Creep, but because of L&I, they're not ready. So we're really hurting on the small venue facet besides the Philly Mocha. And even that's like a bigger small venue. And again, things are getting busy. You got to remember, we came out hard swinging. A lot of these other guys are like, I don't know if we're going to have shows. Last summer, we were out there. No, we're doing them. We're doing them. We're doing them. Boom, 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 boom. And now everybody followed suit in the city and they're back now. So we're, we're, we're in a little bit of a busy season. So. Bear with us. Some shows are not going to be in Philadelphia, but it's still Philadelphia hardcore, whether it's inside or outside the fucking city. So many of the fucking people that make Philadelphia fucking happen either don't live in the city or just moved to the city, but they put fucking Philadelphia hardcore on the map. It's always been that way, and I'm just happy that people want to play here. So support our fucking shit, phillyhcshows.com for all the info, or phillyhcshows on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're... uh in that dial-up modem bullshit, you're still on Facebook. It's Philly Hardcore Shows on Facebook. So tonight, specifically, I have to make up for an interview, which we've decided to postpone. It was all ready to go, but shit happens. So because I had big news and because I said that the big news for This Is Hardcore will come to you first here, here we are. Here's some big fucking news. Number one, we got the fucking dates. Boom! If you're not excited, I don't know what to fucking tell you. I can tell you specifically that when we came back to the Franklin Music Hall, formerly known as the Electric Factory, that we didn't know what was going to happen. We hadn't had a fest since 2019, and there has always been Brian Dilworth who passed away in the chain of command as the mentor, as like the big daddy to make sure shit happens for this hardcore at the factory with his passing in March, 2020, we lost that. And you know, the factory didn't start having shows all September, 2021. So it was up in the air for a while. 
and no one knew if they were going to add new mandates, what the fuck was going to happen. So we were later to get started, but not that much later, like weeks, not months. And when it finally came down to it, we were looking at dates. There was a tour that would be absolutely fucking perfect for Philadelphia and for Philly hardcore shows and for This Is Hardcore. And I said, I would do anything, including moving our weekend around to accommodate and have that tour on the fest as the return to This Is Hardcore. So Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is a three-day This Is Hardcore. Though we're going to have a pre-show like we always did. So the dates are Saturday. The dates are July 7th, which is a Thursday. That'll be some pre-show. Friday, July 8th will be at Underground Arts. And then 9 and 10 will be at Franklin Music Hall, formerly known as The Factory. So the weekend of July 8, 9, 10. For you hardcore motherfuckers that want to hit the pre-show, we'll definitely have something 7. I know we're going to have some after shows. And if there was a time where we had the flexibility and, you know, I love thinking about let's not get locked into something if we have the flexibility. Because for every previous year, we've made slight variations depending on Electric Factory's calendar or occasionally what was going on with Starlight. But it always moved a week. And then initially, again, I said in a previous podcast that when we made a MySpace bulletin in 2008, we said, what would you like to see changed? And they said, can you make this is hardcore the weekend before college starts? I didn't know college started in the middle of fucking August, so we moved it up, and that's when we really started selling out venues. So we've wavered from as late as mid-August, like the 14th, 15th, all the way up to the earliest we've ever done it was the 23rd of July. In this capacity, this one's the earliest we've ever done in a year. I know that Sound and Fury is going to be at the end of the month, July 29 and 30, so it also gives us a split of difference for people who would both like to play and would like to uh, be there, you know. Um, traditionally, we both started in 2006, and there were bands that would tour one to the other. They were at the end of July, and we were in the middle, so it was a good way to tour. And then when Santa Fury stopped for a couple years, we just placed it in the end of July because the calendar at the Electric Factory would have stuff in August, and it made it easier to accommodate us if we were in the late July. So at least this year, we are. Saturday, like you fucking saying Saturday, what a chooch. We are July 8 through 10, July. Can't fucking wait. It's exciting to say that. It's exciting to say this is 100%. I got my balls broke by so many people. Hey, when's, when's this happening? Huh? You know, like, and obviously this is a big thing. So many things have to happen. So many people are excited about it. And I'm honored, privileged, and determined to make sure that we make up for the time that we didn't have. And I also am not like, oh, it's so difficult. No, I I take responsibility and I get excited for the impact that this is hardcore has. And I try to do my best to include as many people from merchants to food vendors and record labels. I want to let people know so they can start travel plans. People want to take vacations. There's a lot of things involved. So the sooner the date gets out, the better for everybody. Because of the ability to have different weekends available was new to us. We tried it out. And it was worth it. People are going to be excited when we do the announcement. So, again, this episode is primarily going to be 
a Q&A, and there are some questions non-related to This Is Hardcore, and I'll start with one of those, and then we're going to go into a lot of the questions regarding This Hardcore, and then if depending on time and how long I prattle on, I might even get into something that's beyond This Is Hardcore. So, in regards to the first question, this goes a little bit back to what I said about Terror last week when I was talking about the ability for a band to stay relevant, to stay active, and to push forward with new records often like Terror has. So there's the context for those who didn't listen and those of you who supported listen. You understand where this question is coming from, all right? Hey, Joe, I was wondering if you thought or knew when the next band was going to come out like a Terror or an agnostic front or sick of it all that's going to have the kind of career where it has both longevity but they also still play hardcore shows not like other bands who start out early in hardcore with a lot of success and then move on to just playing rock and metal shows thank you and there's a lot of ways that this specifically I could cut into you know argumentatively the word hardcore goes wider and wider the longer it sticks around when it comes to hardcore punk. So in recent years, obviously, there are bands who have birthed and started in hardcore and obviously gone way further. The probably largest and most popular could be Kill Switch Engage, which have played so many small DIY venues and their previous bands have played even more DIY venues and they have a long tenure of just being a hardworking band who would eventually become a massive American metal band. Um, there's also Haybreed, who argumentatively Jamie Haybreed, if I ever did his podcast where he could come on here, I would really like the young people to just see the work that he put in from doing shows at the Bristol Skate Park in Connecticut through his record label and his tenacity and drive to make Hapri what they were. And there is two camps in Hapri fan base that say they're more than a hardcore band or, you know, they're not even a hardcore band and all that's irrelevant to the question. But I want to give you a basis for when we start talking about this, how I feel. The hardest thing about being a band for 20 years straight is figuring out a way to have money that comes in that could pay your bills so you're available when a big tour comes through. The Terrors, the Hatebreeds, the bands who have these runs, AF, Sick of It All, Manball, these bands made direct correlations to if we are available then we'll have more opportunities and it's a fucking gambler's it's a, what they say like it's a gambler's gamble because you know you could write a record and it not do well and then it might hurt your touring opportunities or you might have to play smaller rooms and so the, that's why there are so few bands who have been around longer than 20 years that are staying active in a capacity that's considered full-time and a band that their living comes from hardcore for the most part. Obviously, every one of these guys in these bands have supplemental income, but for the most part, the the big mainstay of their you know income does come from touring. And you know the argument can be made 
that Ignite, but Ignite's a band that was around even longer than Before Terror. So if we're talking about a newer band, it would be really hard for me to say right now because I feel as if the focus of a young band is to go beyond the walls of hardcore very quickly because they see the internet as, oh, well, people in hardcore know us. So now we're going to try this thing over here, and then we'll just go back if we don't like it. At least that's a presentation that I've seen often. It's not the the blanket statement for everybody, but it's how it seems to be presented as such. Could a band like Drain happen? It's potentially possible. I know that them guys have jobs still, I think, and I know that they're still starting out. But if we use those as a background, Drain... As long as a band like Drain can play shows, the people come and support them. The people buy merch. The people don't go on the internet and shit talk them. You know, um, the thing that took Power Trip a long time, I think, was getting out of just being a Texas band, if you know what I mean by that. You know, people knew about them. Anyone who played down in Texas with them saw it. Their sets at different United Blood, Sound and Furies were starting to really pick up the name. I mean, the first Zark where they played was in 2012. And they really rapidly just went from, you know, a band people knew about to that's the band that's going to have the set that night. And, you know, before his passing, we were really trying to work out playing one more time or you know it wasn't one more time when we were talking about it but I was hoping that we could get power trip on 2019 or 2020 this is hardcore and it would take a band that has inertia like a power trip or even earlier stages like a drain right now and they would have to focus not only on just playing shows in America they'd have to build their band Like, you know, their popularity in other places. Europe is huge for hardcore. And all the bands, Terror, Ignite, Agnostic Front, Sick of It All, Hatebreed, you name them. If they're going to have the ability to be a profitable enterprise, which means the band doesn't just break even, but they come home and they have money in front of them, they have to establish themselves overseas because overseas, it's not like the American media. There are massive, massive, massive crowds of people who are not hardcore, are not punk, are not anything. They just go to these things and they buy shirts and they just, they're lovers of music over there. And so it's easier for bands to get bigger guarantees because a hardcore band here who could barely sell 200 persons in their hometown could easily play their own 500 person room for 25 fucking days in Europe. So my, my hopes is a band like a drain could be it but it would take them staying with the program it would take them metering out and understanding there's going to be times when you just got to support there's times you got a headline there's going to be time to write a record that people are going to be interesting to and not the terror sick of it all af and manball variations to their releases are somewhat similar you know you have records from all of them that may try different formulas that go outside whatever your idea of a normal AF, Manball, Sigurdall, Terror record would be. 
and then they go back at times and retouch an old formula, bring back some, you know, like, you know, a long career, multiple records. I don't even know how many records Sick of It All has at this point. I'm not sure. I know AF has to be close to 12 LPs, or at least things that they were presented in LP form, at least 12 of them. Manball's under that. Manball's probably got like six or seven full records. And that's the thing. As these bands have been wrong, you got to keep putting out records because a record is the avenue financially and commercially where a record's promoted. It gets the band on the tours. There's money that comes in. It's like the gas in the oil tank because you can get popular and people like you, but then after a while, new music is really what feeds the fires with any band. So I'm going to go with I hope it's Drain. So thank you for the question. All right, let's knock some of these This Is Hardcore questions out. Ron Dog hits me with, let's start with obvious question. When's the lineup dropping? Bitch, I don't know. I got an idea. I have like a metric of like X amount of weeks to promote, so we should try to have it this. But the one thing I know is chasing down headliners and getting the the bill wrapped up can be a motherfucker. So I set a timeline. I usually shorten it by two weeks in case we have to push it back, and I roll from there. Right now, no fucking plans, a specific date to announce to the public, but I have an operational date that I'm working under like a fucking sands hour time ticking every second that I'm talking about this shit. Next question. If this Argo were to be in any other city, where would it move it to? I would say often that the smartest move Hellfest ever did was get away from Syracuse, but move to central New Jersey. I don't know if there's an area with a giant-ass venue or if it would be smarter to do it in a large space like that convention center kind of scenario, but it would be smart to be in central Jersey. It's a little bit more central to people, but at the same time, you know, if you can't, if you can drive to New Jersey, you can drive to Philadelphia. I think you'll... I think Philadelphia Hardcore and the other venues, like the small venues and the after shows, added a level to it. Plus, people like traveling and seeing different stuff. And as far as cities go, we are the one of the oldest, one of the most cultural cities in the entire country. There's so much cool history here. There's so many cool things. And with the advent and amazing addition of gentrification... Now you get the benefits of all this cool hipster shit that you have in your own town, and you get shut fucking shot now. So maybe moving Philly will be smart. I don't know. I'm praying to God when people come, we don't have massive crazy shit happen. It's been a little nuts with carjackings and all that. But I would say central New Jersey was smart when the Elizabeth area, but I don't remember Hellfest 2004 if there was a lot of venue to hotel options. Uh, I thought Trenton was an idea, but it's a little small, and I don't know how many hotels. And again, no one's going to be traveling around Trenton looking for something fun to do besides going to the fest. So I think Philly ultimately is always going to be what I think about when I think about this hardcore, but a central New Jersey location wouldn't be bad either. But I wouldn't say something as far close to the ocean like an Asbury Park or Atlantic City because that just adds the, that removes the whole point of it being centrally located when we start getting the short points. Plus, in the summer, traffic is fucking shot in New Jersey. So, stick to Philadelphia. Here's a cool one that I can answer pretty quickly. Where would you recommend staying in around Philly this summer? For me, when I didn't live, or when I did live in the city, which I still do, but I would stay at a hotel. I stayed at the Marriott 
downtown across from the Reading Terminal Market. Most years, one year we stayed at the Sheridan Hotel, and there was a year, two years we stayed in this other spot, I forget, but it got crazy pricey and it wasn't worth it, and it wasn't close to anything to eat, so I was like, fuck it, we're going to go back to the Marriott. And there was a lot of reasons why we were staying at hotels. A lot of it was simplicity, not having to park your car, and close closer to the actual venue. And again, sometimes Philly traffic's a pain in the ass. But more or less, it's like, yo, we had a bunch of my friends coming out. People were staying with us. The The dog was a, a little bit of a headache to deal with. And sometimes it was easier to have the dog uh, stay boarded and just stay in a hotel. And then that way, the whole focus. I've lost sets of keys. I've lost so much shit. Uh, the city with parking can be a motherfucker where we were living. Since I moved to the northwest section of the city, I don't worry about parking. So it's been a way easy, kind of very calm drive to and from the fest. I kind of like sleeping in my own bed. And, you know, I tell my friends, you motherfuckers, you want to sleep on my couch or, you know, get a fucking hotel. But I would suggest to go to Priceline, put in convention center area, and they usually have those like deals where they give you a reduced rate. And a lot of those hotels in that area are really fantastic the convention center and it's right by Reading Terminal Market which I tell every person who comes to this hardcore if you don't go to Reading Terminal Market one day you're fucking crazy and yes they do have vegan options so thank you for the question young man when will I book a conviction reunion you gotta talk to Jimmy Winters man he's the one he's the one holding that key I think people would like it I think we could do a whole 90s show around it and I've thought about it make Everyone have to wear big pants and collar chokers and shit. But any anytime soon, I don't know. I haven't seen Jim since pre pre pandemic, so be interesting to see what show gets him out, and I'll ask him if he wants to do it. Now, here's a question that is simple. The dates are July eight through ten, and the lineup is to be announced. I'll let you know soon. Eddie, here's my brother. Who do you fanboy over the bands you have booked? I mean, there's like moments where we did Agnostic Front jumped up because Blast dropped and Slapshot's playing and we let Choke and Roger and Vinny, who have all been friends for over 40 years, hang in the backstage area and just have coffee and we told everybody to stay out of the room let them hang out. Stuff like that, along with, like, standing there and just seeing, like, oh, it's Keith Morris and Mike Judge and all these different people, Ray, uh, you know, Ray, Purcell, uh, Siv, like, the Hangouts, and in lieu of being a cock and, like, showing up, like, hey, let me get in this picture with you guys, the cool backstage thing, it's a hallway, like a T-shaped hallway, and there's like two or three backstage rooms. It's not really that like great. But it's seeing these people whose music literally like and I see people take pictures of all the time. Like there's one with like Jimmy Murphy's Law, Sid, blah blah blah. It's like the New York hardcore Mount Rushmore. I see these pictures every every summer, you know, and I'm like, Holy fuck, like look at this picture. It's like all these guys. And instead of trying to like be inclusive, like, let me get involved in it, I just like sitting back and being like this is so cool that at this thing that I work on, it gives time for old friends to all kind of hang out with each other again. 
So, I mean, the first time Waddy walked in and started talking, I was literally like, just like, holy fuck, it's Waddy. Fucking exploit it. Um, Jerry Only, when the Misfits played This Is Hardcore, they were absolutely gentlemen. Jerry was beyond affable and one of the coolest motherfuckers. And, you know, another hardcore punk legend and just a grown-ass adult who just is not a anything but a solid individual. And um, privately, being a young kid who loved Guar, something special about getting to talk to Dave Brocky out of costume and then having to stare at him and have him thank me for a show as odorous is pretty wild. And again, you know, yeah, the, the, the first, this is hardcore 10 years ago, definitely me, Bob, Juice, we definitely made sure to bully Mike Muir from Suicidal into getting a picture because we're like, holy shit, it's Mike Muir from Suicidal. This is fucking sick. But like, that was just like the first year, the first night of the first Electric Factory, this is hardcore. And we were just so psyched and riding on a high. And now it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll walk by you. See that, Bob? Yeah, I, I saw them all hanging. And I think we've kind of learned, well, not that we ever punished anyone back there, but there's definitely a lot of really cool hangs from the people that music did everything for me and made the fest happen. And I love walking by and seeing some dudes in the middle of a conversation. And it's like a mixed match that you never see before. You're like, holy shit, I did never see them three talking. It's just cool. And so I think I fanboy more over being able to walk by and seeing like to me, people that are everything to me in hardcore, hanging out backstage and just enjoying the moment. And I, that's all I could ask for, honestly. Even more than just an awesome set and people coming was like the people who made this shit happen, enjoying it and then having good times. You know, I've been asked this question before and I didn't really formulate it as well as I think I can right now. This is for anyone wanting to start a festival of any kind of music, do you have any advice? And thinking about the things that make for good festivals, organization is important. Having great relationships with the venues, it is always going to be harder to convince people who you have no relationship to that you're capable of pulling off something like a festival. And so the preemptive thing I would say is if you haven't done it, Get yourself some prerequisite skills. Just book your stuff, learn your stuff. Maybe even go and help out at another fest. Get some get some experience under your belt so you understand the pitfalls and the things that could come across as you're trying to go through this endeavor because there are things that are very much at a macro level, just a bigger version of your regular show. And in fact, 99% of what happens at This Is Hardcore is exactly how I would do a show at the First Unitarian Church or any rental space. And for the logistics purpose and business side of things, it's legitimately a, a, a giant hall show. It's set up like a giant hall show. It's run like a giant hall show. And I think it goes back to things that I've said to people who are quiet and sitting backstage before they play. And I'm like, what's going on? They're like, ah, getting ready. And I always say the same things. How'd you learn how to swim? Well, you learn to swim in a baby pool or something. Then you might swim in a lake. Eventually, you're going to be out in the ocean. But if you learn to swim in the small stuff, you'll be able to handle the big stuff. But if you ain't never swam before and you run out to the ocean, you're going to have a lot of fucking problems. And you might be a great pool swimmer, 
But if you've never seen the ocean, then waves will fuck you up. So you need to balance it. For me, I had the opportunity to be able to come to Sean Agnew of R5 Productions. And he had all the prerequisites. I knew nothing besides the bands I thought was cool. And it was through him. 2006, I learned more from Sean from 2005 to 2011 than so much. And as we talked about 25 years, 97 to 2005, that's eight years, from 06 to 2011, I like leveled up. That was like high school to college. Immediately learned so much more was just being there with Sean and seeing what happened. And and you know what? This is something that is interesting is our sound guy for the church, John Hiltz of Born Against, you know, he was a sound guy at the all the Starlight This Is Hardcore. Jeff Ziga, who now would be, uh, I think, the last playing member of Blacklisted and Drums. You know, Jeff's been in a million bands. Andy Nelson, you know, all these guys are like veterans in the hardcore punk scene in Philadelphia, but also in the production side of things because they came up and they are the backbone of R5 Productions. And so it was those folks that really kind of like, <laughs> Joe's crazy. And they kind of like, all right, he's the crazy guy. Let's walk him through and teach him how to be civilized and learn this shit. So I, I have giving you advice because it's how I had to learn backwards. But I had the connection socially. I had been booking shows. And I had the idea. And Sean was like, okay, cool. This is a good idea. Okay, you work on this end and I'll do this end. And thankfully, Sean taught me the stuff I didn't learn. So I got lucky. So if you were starting out at a festival, no matter what the thing is, is you have to have a good venue. You have to have good venue relationships. And you have to have a good scene. You know, um, in the talks of good fest, bad fests, if you're a scene like Richmond, you're like really specialized. You know, like Richmond is something that people hit on tours and then they do United Blood. And what Dave and the guys brought to Richmond was like a magnifying glass. Like, look at the shit we have in Richmond. And it went from something that really people, I mean, the people who toured and the people who lived mid-Atlantic and occasionally people would fly in for shows would go to Richmond shows. But once they put on the United Blood, it was like, oh shit, this is a fucking vibrant scene. And in fact, no one ever talked about Atlanta until there was a Richmond hardcore fest. Because then Atlanta and all these other places spurred up around it. So give a lot of respect to United Blood for stepping out and not being a... They were like the most truly hardcore festival in the South, which is always hard. South has always been about bullshit, Bible-thumping metalcore bands that just want to play at the Warp Tour at some point in their career. And they made it happen. But it was the strength of the Richmond hardcore scene that made it even a possibility to hold a fest like that. And I know Knock Loose and all them, the kids with their new bands, they're like, you know, Louisville, 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 Louisville. But I seen, and I've talked to a lot of people, and I don't think that Louisville as a hardcore scene, just by population, doesn't have a giant, giant hardcore scene. You know, I got a couple bands, it's a smaller town, but because of the presence of LDB, 
now with the production skills and the thoughts of Colin Feeney to bring these bands and having the connection to do so, they could build it. But a scene like a Chicago, they had everything. They had bands. They had a venue. Everyone had to play Chicago. And that's why for years when we had Shane Merrill, who's on the show, that's why it was an easy duh. Of course, people are going to travel out to go and play Arlington Heights just outside of Chicago, this hall, because the shows were packed, the bills were stacked, and people would travel. You know, it was a, and it was a very solid idea to go there. And that, I think that's important to say because I know Shane's working on a rumble for this summer as well. But I think your, your scene has to have the kind of numbers regularly at the shows to even think about doing something. Unless you're in, the caveat is unless you're doing something like, hey, we're in the most centrally located part of the super popular state where things might be not happening directly in this exact city, but in an hour or so circle, there's all this other stuff that's still centrally located. You can't just put something in the middle of something unless... It's like a fucking weirdo Burning Man or something. You know, it's like why, again, why Sound of Fury works. Well, you know, there was the precursor to it with the fest called Sync with Cali. And through all the different people from the very beginning of Sound of Fury to when they, another people did it and then another people did it and then they're back to these other people doing it. There's enough people who do shit to make and enough shit happening when there's no Sound of Fury that it makes sense to do it. You know, festivals rely on you know, life, you know, the the big cities always have rivers next to it. And I think hardcore scenes and festivals, you got to have people who are naturally already there to really try to build a festival from it. So cool question. Here's a simple one. Is there bands that you still have not booked? And the answer is always yes. Obviously in 2020, we were set to have the first Circle Jerks East Coast show. And that's gone. We don't have it. That would have been fucking a big feather in my cap. Like, holy fuck, circle jerks. <laughs> you know, um, I would say that I appreciate my, res- my relationship with Ron and booking Coxbar as many times as I did. I don't think Coxbar would ever play this as hardcore, but I always hope one day they play this as hardcore. They're, I've been... A huge uniform choice band forever, uh, like forever. I can't see Pat Dubar ever playing. I feel like if it happens, it would be a California only thing. But obviously, a uh, uniform choice would be something that would just blow me the fuck away. And what's scary and goes into that next question is, what's the deal with reunion shows and why people really love them? Obviously, people want what they can't have, which if we tie back to the Terror AF, Madball, you know, sick of it all thing is when a band is around, as long as a band is, people go, oh, I'll just see them on the next tour. They're always coming around. And then they stop. So the band who stops is more popular. When Have Heart broke up, they were popular, but they weren't like selling a thousand tickets at a show or something. But the the time when they were gone, the Bridge Nine algorithm, because Bridge Nine was releasing all this pop punk stuff, the Have Heart records were being shuffled algorithmically towards that fan base. 
So then the hardcore people, oh, that band was cool. But then you had an entire 10 years where all these young kids growing up on this god-awful pop-punk crap is like, oh, my God, those have our bands, the most important bands. And when they play, you know, there's no arguing this. This is fact. This isn't fiction. This is have heart had a giant, giant, giant response because the sheer amount of pop punk people who found the band from the label. But if had heart had toured four more years, they would have broken up permanently. You know, that's a special thing about reunions and its relationships. There's been the ones we've did, like in the case of uh, Jeff Rickley singing for Ingen Dagger. Because they wanted to raise money to help Max, who was a part of the Crud and Dagger family, and his son. I mean, well, it was Ma- Miracle Max, his father, that was his son, and that was the whole point of it. You know, Jeff stood up, said, "I'll do it." And even when we did the Turning Point thing, it was in honor of Skip. You know, uh, they had re-released the record again the discography and all that, and people were really getting behind it. And God bless Jay and Ken and everybody for, like, legit being the people who were like, hey, you know what, fuck it. We're going to make this happen. We're going to we're gonna do this fucking show. And, and that's the thing. That's the thing I think about the most now is, like, these reunions are, you don't know if there's going to come again. I'm recording this wearing a lone-in-the-crowd hoodie from the, only the second show alone the crowd ever played, which was a union to help out Howie, who played. And that's the thing that comes with this whole thing. Sometimes reunions are benefits. Sometimes the reunion is made to help people out. Sometimes it's just exciting. You know, um, Gorilla Biscuits played CBGBs, and people went fucking nuts. And the response caused the GB Murphy's Law comeback kid tour and you know uh, which trivia that couldn't be the day of the first this is hardcore that we tried Sean had like yo this is happening but it just didn't work out but like sometimes a, a fun show turns into a band coming back I mean you saw it with Judge so reunions bring something to the table in interest but like on the back side of things you know, uh, I'm not Riot Fest, man. I can't do what the numbers are. It's like, you know, because of Rich Hall having a great relationship with the Refuse guys, Refuse ended up jumping up and playing an after show at Underground Arts. They either saw it or you didn't. But they were also getting paid insane money to play big fucking shows. You know, it's like, this is the, this is the caveat. Some people wait their whatever time that they found this record to hear this band live. That says a lot about the presence of music and live music in general. A record can mean so much, but wanting to hear the music live is something special. One of the interesting reunion scenarios that happened 10 years ago was that the year of 2012 ended up being 25 years for Revelation. So they did the Rev 25 bullshit. I almost said it's not bullshit, but like that's like so. Next thing you know, I'm like, okay, now we're gonna do these shows, we're gonna do this fest at this big level, and in like one year, like all these banded reunions at that thing, and I was like, oh fuck, Jesus Christ! Like in the last ten years, Revel- uh, reunion has been a mo- the the major focus for so many fucking festivals, 
And it was like, boom, 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 like reunion, 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 reunion. And I'm guilty of that because, you know, it's not my fault you dickheads don't want to just see agnostic front. I don't know why negative approach. Like, and mind you, I'm not I'm not a 55-year-old man. I'm fucking 41. I'll be 42 in July, you know? But, like, if we celebrated our heroes in their present day, if we made sure as they're making their journey to be something, you know, early on, and this is hardcore, terror was good enough to headline. But now we kind of spoiled the world, and they're like, why don't you resurrect, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, it's just not good enough for this festival world, which is a shame. I think we always should be celebrating the bands at the pinnacle, the bands riding it. You know, like, that man ball set it off set. If you saw it, whew, you know, that was fucking wild. That was fucking something. And that's the thing. Everybody has this moment where the obvious answer the obvious situation is one thing, but you start looking and someone, you know, guessing yourself. I just did like bobbling. Like, uh, 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 it's exactly what happens. Oh fuck! I know this band's big enough; they could do it. You know, we've got lucky. You know, we got lucky that Converge could handle the fucking weight and killed it. Got lucky that we had the Modern Life thing, Modern Life is War, which was like a reunion. You know, like we've had a good balance over the years of this is hardcore lineups. But nevertheless, reunions are a part of the festival world. Beyond this is hardcore. Beyond all this. It's just the nature of, like, what can they get people excited to talk about? Because bands tour a lot. People get tired, or you know? On the, you know, so that's how that works. And that's why reunions are a thing. Do I chase reunions exclusively? Fuck no. But you start getting these bands, and then I kind of, paint myself into a corner by having a lot of reviews like oh who's the band who's the guy you got this year and it's like bitch why can't i just have a fucking band that's killing it right now <laughs> you know like it's there's a lot of fucking weight on my shoulders and there is only so many fucking bands so that's my feelings on the reunion thing and i hope that makes sense and uh i didn't get lost in a tangent on that so thank you for that one here's a cool question from my brother if you have not gotten your hair cut at Lucky's Barbershop, you're fucking up. Lucky should come down here every year from lovely New England. And they give beautiful haircuts. What are some of the goals for 2022 This Is Hardcore that made different from past fests? The ultimate goal will always be to comp- compress both what can bring the most amount of people to the fest so we have the most amount of fun and what can I do to make sure the people that come have everything that they need? You know, and because I work with the electric factory, I have the benefit of Jerry Market, who is probably one of the best production managers in the country. That's not even a bullshit thing. Like, the motherfucker does insane concerts. He does insane setups of sound systems and light systems. And he's the one smart enough from many years of experience. Like... He's the one who made sure that they rent ATM machines so people have the ability to get cash. Like, there's, like, little things, like, I wouldn't have thought of because he's already has to. And he's already done it. I'm lucky with that. And so, for me, um, obviously, I think all the tents that were outside are fucking dead, gone, destroyed over the years. So, I'm looking into what could we do to make sure that 
due to the weather, due to the nature of the fest and the time it comes that we have some uh, cover, overhead cover. I want to revamp how the merch area is organized. Sometimes we have not had the best time where the tables show up and then the tents aren't there on the same time. Like we don't have it because we're subject to change based upon the delivery times of when we can start the setup process and, you know, taking for granted that Friday night we always could set up and make it work and then fix it on Saturday. Already mapping, like physically drawing maps and thinking about how to organize the the merch tables and the things so they make sense. I give all the love to Chris X, who that's a, his main job for me during the fest. Chris is out there dealing with all the merchants, and you know Jocko, who fans of Jocko podcast. Jocko's big on decentralized command. I don't really get that involved. It's a you know like a table person that I know wants to get involved. You know, there's sometimes I get involved directly, but a lot of that stuff falls on the Chris's head because I can't be worrying about the the back end of the band payments and making and, and getting up with Greg Falchetto, who is stage manager, and getting up with Greg Daly, who is managing and just making sure the paperwork and the, the needs of the bands are coming in, and then the things with the people who are checking in, like. There's a lot of little things that no one will see. No one can see because it's not one eight five six that happen, and it's and their hats worn by other people. My primary job at the fest is to kind of understand whose job, what they're doing, and how do I make it better? How do I plan for it? So in that, I'm literally writing out like what the jobs are, what the jobs entail, and then going to people that done it and go, "Hey, is there anything I'm missing?" So that way, as we start rolling into it. There's more organization. I would say how that benefits the how that differs is I usually am we'll fix it day of or let's make changes. But I think with a cold start, the smart thing to do is prioritize organization, making sure that instead of day of, it's like here's what we're doing and we have the time. You know, we have the time to get a little bit ahead. So there's gonna be more organization ahead of time. I'm looking to try to make the ability to be backyard comfortable as always. And, you know, aside from that, you know, I don't know. You know, it's hard to say because opportunities may come to us that may add to it. Um, my biggest goal for This Is Hardcore is to see people really having a great time, which is a shitty answer to say. My goal is to make sure people are having a good time, people are accommodated, meaning, if they come to the show, they're not stuck in, you know, too much bad heat. They're not stuck outside for hours in line, you know, because there's one ATM. Making sure that the we, you know, we spend money to make sure the porta potties are cleaned every day, you know, like the little things like that help out. You know, once I just understood better that you know what, fuck it, people are not going to watch every band. I put time into making sure people could sit down and hang it at a table, eat some food, and catch up with friends. And we're going to make sure that that's possible. So short-term is a combination of people and also internally within the organization is get more organized, get prepared, knock off the cobwebs, get everybody in the team thinking this is hardcore, thinking about how what they do in their job and what their job entails and how it relates back to someone else's job so everybody's efficiently flowing and there's not so much chaos because it has been something we have been doing since 2006 and since... 
the team has been the team with different growth periods in different spots. But when you have this much time off, you're rusty. So we're going to be going through some stuff and literally going to things I've learned about project management, things I've learned about team building. We're going to make sure that people that come in know their task, know what they got to do. We don't have too much overlap and we can all give mutual support. Here's a couple of fun ones real quick. Short guys. Mosh or stage dive can only have one. Mosh always. Um, not that diving isn't fun, but I ain't built for it. Physically, I'm fucking tall, lanky. All they get, get a little, get a little body, get a little donkey butt on you, get a little heavier, harder to dive. And also, who the fuck wants a 230 something plus guy landing on top of them? So, Mosh always miss it. Uh, hoping to be healed up enough to kick some of you motherfuckers directly in your face during the fest. Um, in relation to this one question, it's more of a thing that people ask about, usually from overseas. This one says, can we get Thailand's whispers to this year's This Is Hardcore? Narok Bondin is life. I pray that one day, we can just have these cool bands that come from all, out of our country into our scene and people will respect them. And in fact, the biggest success we had was Raw Brigade, which I think we put them on the fest and people liked them. But now that they've moved to the States, they are an active killer fucking band. They just went out to California. And I wish that the same thing would happen to European and Asian bands or actually every international band. Why leave it just that? But like, not just continentally, but just anywhere. Australian, everywhere. There's so many fucking fantastic bands outside of the United States. Uh, our brothers to the south. Between Mexico, South America, Central America. Have incredible hardcore scenes that have been going on for a very long fucking time. And really have been completely unknown to Americans. And in this podcast, I'm hoping to over time gloss over that. Shed some light. But ultimately, Americans are fucking spoiled. So they don't fucking do it. You know, we've had Hellweed from uh, Moscow. We've had um, what the Foreseen from Finland. You know, we've had Shipwreck from Sweden and Norway. We've had bands from Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany, France, Italy. Uh, we've had the things we say from Korea, the geeks. Like, this is the stuff that I like. I like people to be exposed to the idea. Oh, we've had Numb. Or, are we, yeah, we've had Numb and Sand. At this is hardcore. So, Japan, you know, like, there is a unity that comes when you travel because you're going to be somewhere and you might be somewhere for hardcore or might not. But you're if you're overseas, you're going to see people especially like in places like England and Germany and France where it's pretty common. Americans don't realize that. But um, I'd love to see a, a more international bands not just come up on stage and people pity them, but actually enjoy them. And that's actually another part of why I'm hesitant about bringing bands over because it's a big cost on their end. We can't afford to do the accommodation flights and all this stuff for a band like that because there's not really an audience internationally in America. And so unless you are a band like that, it's really fucking hard. But make sure that when we do have international bands that they're respected and much love to everyone who's traveled, be it from the UK and Canada and Australia, everywhere, who, um, Swedes, 
There's always some Swedes every year. So many people come and travel. Uh, Spain, we had a kid who could barely speak any English. He came from China to see the year of youth of today. I mean, it's incredible that people make these journeys to see the fest. And I'm honored. And I wish we could do more to support international hardcore. My biggest failing with this is hardcore and what I'm, what would I do to fix it? I just did. In trying to keep the fest three days at the factory, there's probably been times when it would have made more financial sense or maybe just made the weekend more condensed and less drawn out so that way by Sunday there's still fucking energy. But there's so many fucking people that love to come on the Thursday that I'm like, uh, all right, we'll go from, you know, we went from Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Starlight Ballroom. 2011, we did the church and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Starlight Ballroom. Then at the first year of the electric factory, we did the union transfer on Thursday, three days at the fest at the factory. In 13 and 14, we did all four days of the electric factory. Then we went back from 15 to 17 at the underground or at the union transfer Thursday and three days at the factory. And then in 2019, we just had, I think 18 and 19, we did, oh no, yeah, it was a pre-show and then the four day, it was like something like that, uh, was the Thursday at Underground Arts. And so now realizing that, yeah, people are getting older. It's hard to stretch four days out and I want to give people as much bang for their buck. And so it's easier at this capacity to have Friday at Underground Arts, Saturday and Sunday at the Electric Factory, or which is known as Franklin Music Hall. And what that's going to do um, on the, not just the business side of things, but like organizational, whereas we were selling thousands of multiple day tickets. There was a four day, there was a three day, and that was the mainstay of people coming. There's 500 three three day passes for this hardcore. And that's because the venue that we're doing the Friday at only held 650 people. And then the factory days, we're gonna I think we're gonna do a two day, like a Saturday and Sunday, but don't hold me to it, but I think that's the way it's gonna work. So some people also, it's hard for them to come all four days. Some people, as they get older, it's hard to come three days. So here we go. This is a truncated, more succinct, and I'm hoping that it doesn't draw people out to the point where like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. And we're going to try a shorter method. So like when we go in with them three days tickets, I mean, you know, we sell shows out regularly at 500 persons pretty fucking quick here. You know, a church sells like 550 tickets. And you saw with the Cox Bar shows, those sell out at 1100 We saw that the Union Transfer many times, church many times. So this is in metrics. We go back to that thing about your scene. I know just in our regular scene, we could probably do pretty well and sell these things out. So with the added people traveling, I'm hoping for a really well-supported This Is Hardcore, something that someone can manage. And also, especially with gas prices being high, I think that having a fest where someone could travel, they can rent a hotel. Like you're gonna have young kids are gonna fly out, they're gonna dry out, they're gonna stay Saturday night, they're gonna, you know, mosh all night Sunday and they're gonna drive the fuck home. There might be people who only have to spend 
two nights of hotel. You get a Friday night hotel and a Saturday night hotel. That's all you need. And so there is that cost thought too as, as gas and I imagine air, airplane may go up because of gas fuel or jet fuel rather. So thinking about what makes it easiest and so everybody can enjoy this fest. And that's a cool question. Thank you for asking. I actually like the logistics end of things. So I like any single time someone goes ahead and uh, hits me with them. Now we're going to get into some fun ones. Uh, what's my top five favorite current hardcore bands? Well, if we're talking current, that means a band that's still playing. So if we're not talking legacy, which is like that would be Agnostic Front, that would be Madball, that would be I'm putting Terror, I'm absolutely putting Negative Approach because those motherfuckers tour like anyone else. They don't ever fucking stop. And, uh, fuck. I'm thinking about, like, an older legacy band. Obviously, Murphy's Law is still around. Like, the OGs of this shit are still playing shows all the time. And I give them love because the unfortunate reason is, um, it's 2022. And we don't always get to see, uh, these guys live forever. So I, I, I made sure to see these bands when they come through. But if we're talking about current, like, only bands from this point to this point, I'll make it easy. Mind Force never disappoints. Ever disappoints. Probably my favorite current live band that just gives me big-ass smiles. Um, I'll keep... I don't know if I put Terror in that format with what I just said because I already forgot what I said. But, um, you know, Mind Force and Terror, live, no one can still beat them. It's not impossible. It's, it's like stupid. There's no fucking reason. Um, Incendiary, absolutely astonishing live band. I think about live performances. Um, my brothers in Wisdom and Chains, who been around a long time now, but to give them their respect, all them records, all them years, you know, seeing them at the Winter Jam, Keystone Hardcore Jam, seeing all the young kids that are now you know, the ACs, the Jill Deeblers, the Bob Wilsons, seeing all them and remember when they were young, finding hardcore and wisdom was coming up and watching them sitting back away from the front of the pit and still saying all the words really touched me. It reminded me how much that wisdom has affected this entire scene. So I would say those guys as well. It's probably my favorite of the bands that when like I get excited when like, oh, this band's playing, you know. So thank you for that question. All right, we're going to get into some of uh, just questions that are cool that come in to knock out the rest of this Q&A. Uh, we're going to start with thoughts on local bands having managers or whatever credentials before a demo. Hey, man, I'm against all that shit. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Um, I'm against predatorial managerial ideas like I'm going to help blow this band up. I think organic growth will always exceed any kind of, you know, manufactured, you know, wheeling and dealing behind the ground. Um, and I'll probably get shit for this one, but that's why I never fucked with the ghost inside. Thought they were a fucking joke from the rip. And people are like, oh, they're fucking hardcore. It's like, no, they don't have anywhere else to play yet, bitch. So they're going to play some hardcore shows. And then when they get bigger, they won't have to. And that's all I got to say about that. And if that ruffles your feather, fuck you. And I don't care. 
you know, they're a band that people who probably listen to hardcore like, I guess. I I seen them a handful of times because they were on bills with friends of mine. I'm like, why is this band playing here? Oh, yeah, they're waiting to get big so they never have to anymore. And that's usually why I don't like the idea of managers is that they're trying to manage them band by building a obvious lack of interest because they're brand fucking new with no demo. We're going to build them up at the ground level and they're going to blow them up to become this giant commercial enterprise. I don't know, man. Some bands just drop a demo and it's fucking fire. Or like, yo, you know, like, I know that Warfare thing is more of like a uh, project. That Warfare John that just came out is fucking bomb. Boom! Better than anything fucking Ghost Inside ever came out with. Organic shit comes from the heart. Feels better. Not some dopey shit. Not some fucking giant scrims and a fucking banner in the first year shit. Not about that life. Switching over to a cool question, which I never answer, but it's kind of worth it, I guess. A piece of advice you wish you would share with your younger self when you first got into hardcore. Young kids on the Twitter are much like young Joe Hardcore. We have opinions. I Apparently, as a quarter of the last question, I still fucking got them. Sometimes we need to keep opinions, but be open to let them change as information, time, and things progress. Because there's bands that I didn't fuck with when I was younger because they were whack. Or I fucking despised the people that were all about them. And I'm like, oh, they're with that? I ain't with that then. And years later, I'm like, damn, what's up with that? And I'm like, oh, this. I'm like, man, you know what? I didn't fuck with them. Because it was all these other people that I didn't like who were fucking with them. And I had to like go back and be like, yo, you know what? I fuck with this band now. And so I would say, who cares who likes it? If it's a... Uh, you know, like people or, you know, you know, you got to you got to experience this shit for yourself. And also opinions will change. You might not fuck with something when you're 16, 17. Like, yeah, I knew the basics. I knew the, the negative approach to minor threats, the agnostic fronts, the Murphy's laws. Obviously, you know, the Bible is manball and killing time and biohazard, you know, but. 16, 17, I was just like you. I was listening to the newest shit, the demos, the fucking seven inches. Couldn't get my fucking hands on shit enough. But I still gave respect to that OG shit. And the other thing I'd say is, you know, don't wait till you're 40 to learn. Because I probably would have started a entire thing sooner. Like whether it's a zine or something with some of these older guys who are now passed away who were part of this amazing proto-generation, the first generation. And and I'm still obsessed with reading about it. I just bought this cool-ass thing, which I should pop. Uh, it's the History of Heavy Metal Fanzine. Uh, I'll try to get the band camp out to you. It's a cool little printed zine. Some cool shit. Nothing, no, no, you know, no fucking revolver mag, glossy nonsense, but cool little zine some dude put out. And I came around. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I like heavy metal. I want to read this shit. Cool little zine. So, yeah, just... uh. Cool to have opinions. Be open to change them. If some dickhead you don't like, don't fuck with them. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't check out the music. Let the music stand for itself sometimes. I don't know what the fuck Stucky's saying here. So I'm just going to read it straight out. What's the best tour you've ever been on? Whether that be memories or shows. Well, if we're, if we're classifying memories... I'm always going to stick with the OG shit because it's like the 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 prototype, right? 
the Dysphoria tour every t- the minute we left Chicago everything was new we were like Lewis and Clark out there like crossing the Mississippi for the first time you know seeing what Omaha and Nebraska had to offer us you know like going up to Minneapolis and you know like Chris trying to get on the Guar show you know like being in Wyoming and buying a blowgun and playing one of the weirdest shows ever in the history of the world in Evanston, Wyoming. And then, you know, like all the things that came from driving through the salt flats of Utah in the morning, getting to Northern California and thinking it looked like Lord of the Rings. Me and Chris got uh, the chop, the chips came over because we're climbing up on these hills. I'm like, what are these guys doing? And Chris is like, I don't know, from Philly. They're just excited to be in Northern California. And I go, I'll tell them to get the fuck down. Get off our nature, bitch. You know, like all those first memories. The first time I seen San Francisco. Rainy Sunday night. It's everything I always thought it would be. And then to go and see it the next day in the sun. It's fucking, you know, like it's like what Ernie, I always say what Ernie Talbert said on the show. Access and exposure. I was exposed because I had access to traveling. Because I traveled, my mind opened up and I saw things I didn't. Whether it's a Mean Jeans Burgers in Evanston, Wyoming, or the first time I put my feet in the water in the Pacific Ocean. Because of hardcore, these things happened. And so there's fun tours when my band would start touring. But without the Dysphoria tour, none of it happens. And... That was the basis. That's the foundation. And as someone who actually pours foundations and actually pours fucking skyscrapers, no foundation, weak building, it's due to fall. So first is Fourier Tour, 1999, changed my life, put me on the path. Nothing that happens, not this podcast, not, you know, who knows what the fuck happens in my life. Chris Spear, the guys in Dysphoria, took me and Mike Brown out of Philadelphia plenty of times Boston, Virginia, uh, places all over Pennsylvania, New York, Maryland, Chicago. But taking us out past that, that showed us the rest of the world and kind of gave us the key. Like, now you know how to do it. Now you guys can do it on your own. And without that, so much of what I've done, so much of how my life changes, all doesn't happen. So that one. I really hate questions like this, so the best way to answer this so it doesn't come up again is the sum total of the stuff that I do in hardcore is in service of goals such as like I want to book this show or I want to see shows continue to happen or hey, if I do this band, we get to play some shows or hey, someone needs a benefit show, so we're going to play. Everything that I do in one way or another is in relationship to some form of quid pro quo. Either I want to do something or something can happen. I've never been like, oh, we're not getting paid enough money unless it's like it's not even fiscally possible for us to make the travel and we don't have the extra money. And I think that that's the smartest basis to go off of. The question is, how much does it take to get Shattered Realm to play? And I'm not going to say the town. So, as a as a general rule is, the current lineup of Shattered Realm, we play shows when we want. We play shows that are fun. 
and argumentatively there is opportunities that we should take up, but we'd have to really organize. And I'm still I'm still dealing in the, you know, it's it's public knowledge that me and Joe not aren't friends, and it's public knowledge that. You know, they're not happy that this band is still playing shows without them. And there's a lot of stuff that's not public knowledge on why they're not playing. And for me, I do it because it's fun. If we're able to come and play your town and we can walk out, I don't care if we walk out, even Steven, but sometimes, like, playing fucking, I'm going to use the craziest example, but, like, Butte, Montana isn't a reality for Shadow Rome <laughs> to just come out and play a show. That's not where we get asked. But for us to do it, to break even, and sometimes, in that, and recently we've been thinking about doing a quick run of shows just so we could play a couple places I think would be fucking fun to play. And again, so the if as a promoter, though, you don't want to put the window at what do you need. And this happens often. You know, I work in facilitating a lot of stuff with Year of the Knife. Luckily, because of Maddie Watkins, she's the the goat. You know, she's the most organized human being on the fucking planet. So, I just deal with some end of the booking and other things. And people will say, "Well, what would it take?" Well, first you have to know when the band's going to be available. Do you have a date? Okay, what's the scenario? What's the venue? You know, like what's the situation is. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great to have a band come out and play, but if you're having them just in someone's backyard, it doesn't make much sense. You know, as a promoter, you have to think about, like, how does this affect the band? Because you could take them, you could pay them, but sometimes a band wants to have a good time, just like you would want to have a good time. So keep in consideration, how does this show offer, or what what is my show going to do to help this band, or do they even want to come out, especially if it's in a weird place? And... The question wasn't about a weird place. I'm just using the general to have a talking point. Is if you're a promoter, think about the end result. Yes, you want to see this band play. Yes, you want to be able to person that says, I booked this band. But sometimes the best laid plans fall apart because the outcome doesn't really help out you or the person you were trying to work with. So work within the parameters of if this makes sense for the band. And I always tell young promoters, if the band can't make the money, you know, if if you're going out $2,000 out of pocket with flights and hotels and accoutrement, and then next thing you know is the fucking show grosses $600. There's a lot of money to lose to see a hardcore band. And, you know, back to that reunion thing. At some point they'll play. If not, don't lose that much money just to see a one band play your town. You know, Tony fucking O, I'm going off the clip here. I'm not even pre-thinking this one. What, your ideal six-band show only with bands that have released in the last three years? Yeah, bitch, I did that. You remember it? LOL. We had that fucking insane, incendiary, mind force, never-ending game, year of the knife, fuming mouth, and I'm going to fuck up the opener. I know it. Oh, carried by six. Like, this is some shit. You know, like, that was the last time. So, um, and then we just did one. We just did one in Year of the Knife. 
you know, Year of the Knife. We had Year of the Knife and Mind Force. You have Queensway. You got Age of Apocalypse. I mean, you had Lumpy's new band, which name I totally forgot since I'm going off the clip. I'm not going to edit it in just to sound cool. And uh, and your dumbass band, Roll Life, open. And that shit was fucking bananas. So, depending on the, the given time, any kind of combination of incendiary mind force is a fucking bomb. I mean, you see fucking Monday Night with Drain and Pain of Truth. There's some bombs out there. And, I, you know, honestly, the hardest thing is just picking out who would play last. You know, if we're talking about bands who have materials in the next three years or the last three years... Whew. I mean, now you're getting jammed up because I got terror. <laughs> don't don't get me stuck with terror because terror is always on the motherfucking bill. You know, um, I think terror should always be on every bill. Yeah, I would go with like a terror. My I would go with like a terror incendiary mind force. See, but I like throwing the old guys in there too. So I'm jammed up. I'm already jamming up. I gotta stop. Uh, fuck you. Yeah, here it is. I would do terror. Incendiary, Mind Force, Queensway, Age of Apocalypse. What's that? Four? Terror, Mind Force. Or Terror, Incendiary, Mind Force, Age of Apocalypse. Probably have to throw Painted Truth on there. Uh, you know, we're just talking about bands, not the lineup. And I'll, and I'll just throw my, my, uh, my my young boys in Year of the Knife on there just to throw on just for, for extra fire, but some kind of combo like that. Again, this one was off the top of the head and something fun. But yeah, that was cool. I like that. I do a lot of that, but um and I'm organizing it in my head and and recording is not up for me right now. So you get a little off the head. Um Cody, bands that you want to book on your perfect this is hardcore current done or reunion. The hardest thing is, is that the bands that I love, I'll never do. You, you know, we could talk with your unions like Uniform Choice. Would love to see Texas is the reason. That's the selfish reason I'd love to see it. Um, I, I think that the cool thing about this is hardcore is the kids of today mixed with the old bands of yesterday is one of the coolest things to do. Um, but you know, I miss my friends in blacklisted. I miss that wild ass George getting barefooted, jumping around on fucking stage. And I miss being me and Cracker working at the old um, Starlight Ballroom, working on the side of the stage and having to fucking go ahead and corral that motherfucker as he's stage diving off in the crowd. That shit was fun. I miss Cold World. You know, um, wasn't musically their biggest fan in the beginning, but as. A band in Pennsylvania and as a band that was a powerhouse in the scene and a band that has, you know, stepped up and played shows for me and always been good to us and made some amazing first couple years of This Is Hardcore all the way up until even up to 2014, some insane sets. Yeah, like, I, I miss a cold world. You know, I think that shit was cool. Um, bands that I would want to, for perfect, I mean... I you know I'm still a little pissed that we never had a like a crazy sick of it all set. We had good ones, you know. We had good one thirteen, but like it'd be cool to have a good sick of it all set with like legit. They have so many records and they're on their own path, and they, and they have a full career. And I don't like to diss that, but you know there's people that are always like, how come you can't get them to play this? And it's like you can't ask a band who works and does this shit for a living. 
to abandon ship on a record that they love and that they're working to get people to enjoy because this is their like career and their job and their path. But I, I'd love to see like they did this like OG set. I'd love to see an OG set from Sick of It All, but I, I don't think that's what they're up, up for. You know, um, this is so wide. I basically the bands I would want to book, like a perfect, you know, like we're, we're, there's a, in the, there's like seventy thousand bands, like especially when I do reunions. I mean, like there's fucking jam, bands from Japan, like Jism and shit. That fucking be nuts, you know. Like, uh, obviously the exploited would be cool. What about fucking Discharge from England? You know, uh, I love the dudes, the Turner Brothers from Cockney Rejects. Um, R.I.P. Mickey Fitz would have been great to have Mickey in the business at the fest. That's that oi shit. That's that real American fucking hardcore shit. And I say American because, like, a lot of American hardcore bands were influenced by them bands. And you motherfuckers should be checking it out instead of copying and going, and, you know, oh, what's the chisel about? Well, the chisel's about these bands, too, so check them motherfucking bands out. You're in the violent way? Well, then you better check out fucking Cockney Rejects. You better check out Foreskins. You better check out motherfucking The Business and all this other shit. Now, I got lucky that I've seen a lot of these bands, and I'm happy that I get to book some of these bands, but realistically, for me, that's the kind of shit I think would be great, and then put them with that perfect little mix of Madball, maybe have another night with AF, do the OG AF obituary, Metal Meets Hardcore lineup, maybe bring back the Biohazard, woo, get a little Biohazard, cooking with some fucking Life of Agony, doing the OG River Runs Red, you know, maybe talk to Mike and Tim, bring the VOD back, like, Things always come to me, but it's not always in my power to do. So what I don't do is just weave a web of like, if I could, if I could, because a lot of times I got to work in the parameters of what's set in front of me in a time manner to get a show on sale with a long enough duration to promote it so people can make plans to travel, get hotels, Airbnbs, watch their kids, watch their dogs, save up some money. There's all these parameters, but I mean, if you left me with all the time in the world to get all the bands I ever wanted... It would be a large collection and mix eclectically between old English skinhead and punk bands. Um, definitely some metal bands that I personally saw cross over or bills that I seemed on flyers that I wish I could redo. You know, Circle Jerks. I mean, so many. All the, I mean, Todd Youth, Rabies, Past, you know, Vinny Value, R.I.P., great guy. He's passed away. They're really, I mean... There really isn't anything left of Warzone unless you talk about Tommy Rat to even talk about. But, like, you know, the greatest for me would have been just, just do Warzone one time, you know? Like, um, and that being said, yeah, like, I'd love to do the 25 to Life's, the Bulldozers. I'd love to have a train of thought. There, I mean, there's so many different bands that I'm into. I mean, uh, we play with Blood Has Been Shed. I love a Blood Has Been Shed. I love the entire late 90s era of metal as it was becoming uh, hardcore bands who were getting more metallicized you know everyone wants a kickback and you know i guess that would be cool um for me i i'd like to just see a bunch of my friends bands that we play with you know like uh, i'm i still love diecast i still love unearth um mad love to the prayer the prayer for cleansing guys but also face down from canada windsor they were also on tribunal uh, the guys from Undying were always awesome to us. I'd love to see Undying. There's a lot of these bands. Uh, Bludgeon from North Carolina. Um, Disciple is probably, Disciple known as a victim, 
my people from Erie and obviously in San Diego, them guys and them shows were fucking great. We would play with them guys. So many bands and so many, it'd be impossible for me to make the perfect if I had a perfect choice. But those are some of the bands that come to mind that I wish I could do one day. Um, I hate starting a thing with um, but I'm, I'm balancing, did we talk too much already? Is this too much? It's like an hour and a half in. Is this uh is this something that you guys are still into? I don't know. So what I think I'm gonna do is I'm gonna stop here because I think I, I prattled on. I think we got some questions out of the way. What I'll leave you with is that this is hardcore is happening. July seven through ten. Seven because we're gonna do a pre show. The main body will be eight through ten. There will be three day passes, but they're gonna be fucking limited. We do not have a date they're gonna sell. Traditionally we went on sale the end of April, early May. Plan for that. The hope would be to have it all together as soon as possible. But sometimes you got to put the cake in the oven, let it cook a little longer. So we're going to let the natural course of the rest of the billing happen. I've got something special that I built the entire fuck, or we were starting the whole date on just so this fucking set happens. And there's going to be some curveballs in there because some of the things that we're working on include bands that are just on a tour, which means sometimes it's like, all right, well... They're like that band's plus one. Like, all right, we weren't really trying to have you here, but fuck it, you're in. You're with this guy. We'll bring you in. And they also fit within the hardcore category, so to speak. But I'm sure someone's going to have a question like, how come they're one there? And so, you know, again, remember that there's less slots overall. So we're going to be a little bit more picky too, you know. I want to try to make sure we get some of these young bands. I'm praying to God we start getting these extra newer bands, our first couple sets just so that way they start off right. And obviously, culturally, one of the most important sets of every fucking This Is Hardcore is the first fucking set on Friday. And now we have to move it to the first set on Saturday. The first set on Friday was like the big deal, according to Bob Wilson, when I asked him when Mother Mercy wants to play. And I'm like, when do you want to play? He's like, I want to play first on Friday. I'm like, why? He's like, because everyone would sit on this long line down um, 9th Street. And they would all get in, so everybody who was waiting in line would see the first band on Friday. So traditionally, that was like the big set of the weekend. And I actually I saw Raw Life get a little of that on that Year of the Knife return show, July third this uh, last year. So um, hoping to pop some of these young young bands up who are, are killing it. Hoping to bring back old favorites, old friends. And looking to make sure that everybody who comes together has the best time, and then we can go back to what we've been doing year after year. Thank you, and again, this was a Q&A. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, if you didn't, hey, man, just skip through and wait till next week. You can follow us at This Is Hardcore Fest on Instagram, This Is Hardcore Fest on Facebook, T-I-H-C Fest on Twitter. I'm the Joe Hardcore on basically everything, so find me there. Support From Within podcast. I was just on the episode five talking about some funny shit. Make sure to support Philly Hardcore Shows. Make sure to support your local scenes. Pop-up shit. We got a lot of shit coming to Club Reverb. I know you guys had fun at the Winter Jam. We've got more shit coming. Stuff cooking in the works. Be ready for some uh, Reverb shit this summer, into the fall, into the winter. Um, Support. That's all I can tell you. This is a fucking support. I love Broadsheet Breakdown. Vinny, G. And now Pablo have been physically told 
that we're going to start raising and ruckus. There's going to be a fucking uprising if we don't get a Broad Street Breakdown episode. So, boys, get a fucking episode. Otherwise, the people will rise up against you. We need a new episode. Richie's, I already know he's recording. The day this comes out, Richie's already recording. He's going to have another scene report. If you didn't fucking check them out, post America podcast. Richie Crutch is going through scene by scene, talking to people that were there. All you young kids digging through the Instagrams and the YouTubes, fuck that. Listen to post America podcast. Check out these motherfuckers telling you the who's who and the what's what of that time period in the 90s, specific to that hardcore scene. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for loving hardcore, and I will talk to you next fucking week. Bye.